And so if you want to, you can open your Bible to the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 1. Um, my text today is actually Proverbs chapters 1 through 9. And uh, so I was, I was standing there. Okay, good. We got it. Uh, it's not the Church of Revelation. We are, are going to do that. The Church of Proverbs. I'm sorry. Proverbs chapter 1. Um, so my daughter leaned over to me. Stephanie did. And she said, 1 through 9? Is that really what you're going to do today? And uh, I said, well, you just got to trust me on this one. Um, but actually, just today's message is going to be way, way different than normal. I'm going to have a, a super long introduction, which is more vision for the church. Okay, so not, not textual today. Normally, just open the Bible, just work through it. Um, today, we're going to get into Proverbs 1 through 9 a little bit. But the, the reason for, uh, for the delay is because I spent the week at, uh, in Louisville at, um, uh, at Southern Seminary. And that should have changed, so I'm not sure what, what happened there. Are we changing? This normally works like clockwork. Um, but anyway, we're at uh, Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, where I was. Hang on, can I just, I just check this? I want to do this here. Let me, let me get off. Let me get on. Am I good? There I'm off. Right? Phil always says, right? Technology is wonderful when it works, right? <laughs> Amen. Amen. There we go. This should this should be better. If we're not, then I'll just I'll just adjust. Okay, but I was at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary where I'm pursuing my Doctor of Ministry degree. And I'm, I'm enrolled in that study, quite frankly, because I have a lot to learn about leadership. Uh, first day of class this, this past week, they said, um, the more you study leadership, the more you realize that you don't know very much about leadership. And uh, really, that's, that's where it is. And I'm enrolled in a program with a, a leadership emphasis. Um, and some of that is coming from my, my lack of just thinking about how to lead Rock Valley Bible Church and uh, just I need some help and more training in there uh, just to help all of you. Really, the, the reason I'm going is to, to help all of you. And I found it, found it helpful. And my, my hope and prayer is that through this course of study, I, I'm going to be a better pastor and uh, going to serve you better and that we as a church will be stronger. Their church will flourish in uh, months and years to come. And so to give you a little update where I am with my, my program, I, I've done with all the classwork. I finished that up this week. And so I'm really halfway through. So, so now I got to turn and think about my project, which is my writing project, which is much more difficult in many ways. A class is easy just about reading and small reports, but this is much bigger and much more, more difficult. But my, my project is implementing a, a formalized church membership program here at Rock Valley Bible Church. Um, needs to be thoroughly researched, backed biblically, um, including some historical, uh, practical reasons why we implement such a project and why it is. And so I'm going to focus upon not classes so much, but really writing and, and researching about church membership. Hopefully by the beginning of next year, on some sermon series, kind of understand that a little bit more and kind of implement it in a scientific thorough way here at Rock Valley Bible Church. And, and really, here, here's what it is. You think about church membership. For us, 
we, we've not had that. It's going to be an opportunity for us to define what does it mean to be part of a church? What's, what's a pastor's role in that? What's leadership's role in that? What's the role of a congregation? What's our, our role as a church in the world? And uh, so just going to really do what's called a DTR. You guys know what a DTR is? What's a DTR? We know what a DTR is. <laughs> so our daughter's going to have a DTR conversation this afternoon, just to let you know. A DTR is a, is a define the relationship, and uh, that's what it's about, and that's really what a lot of what, what I'm going to work on in implementing a, a church membership um, program. Up to this point, we haven't had a church membership. Um, you know, we've been like people at our church who transitioned from being acquaintances who meet each one another to seeing each other, being better friends, to, to being friends. And like where exactly we cross that threshold, we don't, we don't really know. We don't think about the process. But we come on the other side and we're, we're friends. Um, and usually, as people have come into the church, what has happened is uh, we have met them, people coming newer, we got to know them, meet them, and we have them over to our house for dinner and oftentimes tell them ab- about the church. And so church has got a little bit bigger and things have been busier with ministry-wise and things like that. It's been much, really hard for us. I mean, there are families here that, to my shame, you've not been in our house for dinner. That's... That's just different than it's ever been before, and it's just because I think we're, we're growing a little bit. There's more administration going on. I'm busier with, with things, and so just we need to formalize that process more um, and for us to really grow in a, in a healthier way. I think that's going to be a, a step of, of just helping that. And, um, but it's not like our church hasn't worked, okay? It has worked really well. In fact, one of the things interesting is I'm at Southern and talking with uh, about our situation we have some people that just, they just can't understand how we as a church work. I mean, if, from them, a lot of Southern Baptists there at, at, at the seminary where I am, and, and though they think alike theologically, there's a lot of things practically and historically and traditionally that they're just, some churches just do things a lot different than we do, because it's all about numbers. It's all about members. It's all about impact. And they're like, how can you make, your church doesn't have any members? And then they say, well, how do you do church discipline? And I say, well, it's Matthew 18. We just work through Matthew 18. We've done it. Have you done it? Oh, we would never do that. So here they have membership. They're thinking that that's what kind of defines them, but yet they won't do the very thing that membership compels in terms of keeping who's in and who's out on a, on a list. It's very, very interesting with that. Um, they can't understand, but without a formal church membership, our church has really thrived. And, and, and as I speak with my my cohort of, of people down there, fellow students, that our church, we, we have a far richer body experience than most every uh, pastor I talk with down there. Most every student. Our church has just way more body life than, than, than others. I mean, when I describe what takes place at a church and how we're a family of families and how we are a church family... Um, they, they don't have a category for that because for them, many, many of these guys, they're pastors because it's their job. And, and, and they go to church and they do their work and they build up, but, but their friends aren't really at the church so much. They got other friends. And it's, it's just what they, what they do oftentimes. Um, Sunday morning, they get, they get the systems and numbers and organizations and want attendance, but, but pay little attention to like life on life. Uh, matters with the, the church. There's often very little interaction because people come in and, and go out, but at least they came and they gave and we're happy. Many churches are. Uh, so when I describe to them what it means to, to do life together, I mean, they, 
they're amazed. They just, they, they, they just can't quite grasp what's going on. It's what they want, but they, they don't really have it. And so I want you to know that I've, I've come back today realizing what a, what a great blessing it is to be pastoring this church. Because I, I've never considered my pastoring a job. Yes, it is my job. You all pay me. Thank you very much. You provide for us. And thank you for that. But, but you all are our friends. You're, you're a family. And uh, it's kind of it's a bigger family that, that we're part of that I, I get to lead. And for that, I'm, I'm thankful. Um, I was in the lobby checking into my room on Monday evening. And I saw another guy in class, Brian, a, a dear African-American brother. He ministers in Philadelphia at a church, and, and he was there, and he's going to be there for two weeks, and so his wife was along, and he saw me, he said, oh, hey, Steve, how are you doing? And, and turns to his wife and says, honey, honey, this is the guy I was telling you about. Like, um, I, I, I want to go to his church, is what I want to go to. And um, so I, I told him that he hasn't, hasn't visited yet, so, but, but he wants to go to our church. He wants to see what it's like, because that's not his experience as a pastor. And just say, I am, I am blessed that we've been able to grow up here. You see our kids grow up, and we've been able to do life together and grow in our, our love for Christ. And it's been a wonderful experience. Now, I know, say, saying that, that's not all of your experience, because I know there's some of you kind of on, on the fringe of, of the church. Um, you know, I've, I've, I've had people complain and, and just say, oh, well, you talk about that's what the church is like, but that's, that's not what it's like. Well, it's not what it's like for you. Because you're not involved, right? If you just come on Sunday morning and that's it, then you're not going to experience everything I'm talking about. And that's okay. But what I would really encourage you to do is come to a small group, right? Just get to know some smaller groups of people. Hang around after church. Um, find some people. Invest in their lives. That, that's what makes church go. And if you think, well, I'm, that's not happening for me, it's, well, I just say, why don't you involve? We're welcome. Why don't you come in to our lives? Because that's what really church is about. It's really easy. Most of you, if you're on the Weekly Word, you've received a couple emails this week. One, Michelle Gonnering emailed out about John and Cassie had a baby last Sunday. Hey, what about meals? Um, And it's just a link right there. I emailed that out in uh, the Weekly Word. How about this? You say, hey, I want to get involved. How about sign up for a meal? At eight slots, five of them are filled. There's three left. You can do it on your phone right now. Sign up and just say, I want to come in. I want to come into this body. Rather than just kind of staying on the, the fringe and not having any interaction throughout the week. And maybe it's our experience, but I think it's the experience of many, is that when I was uh, at school this past week and talking to Yvonne, it's like, well, we're involved here and involved here and involved here, and these kids are coming around here, and this is what we're doing, and we're just seeing all the people. It's just happening all the time. And it's just a matter of whether you're investing in the lives and mixing your life and doing life together with a, with a church. And you can start with serving John and Cassie. You get to go to their home. They're inviting you to home. All you got to do is just bring a meal to them. You get them, say, hi, I'm whatever, I'm Ted, or whatever, Nancy, whatever, and I'm, I'm um, giving you a meal, enjoy the meal, da, da, da. and you just, that's one relationship, that's one way to, to link, and whenever you have opportunities, find ways to do that, that's what makes the, the church go, and that is the experience of many, that's not the experience of some, know that you just need to give yourself to it. If you don't want to, that's okay, you can stand apart, but I just encourage what makes our church go, and what makes our church the envy of guys at uh, the the class where I'm in is this very aspect of life which isn't happening in many places. Um, It's really one thing I learned is just how thankful I am to be a pastor of this church. I mean, so many pastors are struggling with a lot of 
things and conflicts and hardships and the, the church just kind of sits and doesn't do a lot, that's not my experience. And I'm thankful for that. So, like one of my fellow students is a staff in a large church. Okay? Now when I say large, think 15,000 people on a Sunday morning. That's large. So you know how large that is? That means there are more people in the choir than there are in our church. Welcome to the choir. <laughs> uh, there are more people on staff than there are people in our church. So, so it's just a different animal. And uh, um, I mean, he enjoys ministry, enjoys serving people, but from his perspective, church is a taskmaster. There's always things to build, always things to do. Unbelievable pressure on the staff simply to keep the church running. He was telling me uh, a couple months ago, of, uh, well, last time I was there, six months ago, of a, of a canvassing. They had a, a new neighborhood kind of being built up, kind of close to the church, about a mile from the church. And so, you know, passing out flyers from the church. And not one person from the congregation helped passing out flyers. It was all the staff that did it. So it's, it's, just, it's just these guys are, are running around. They're doing, running, building. And, uh, in fact, even he told me, on uh, Monday before our class on Tuesday that he, he got a call into his uh, supervisor's office and says, uh, you know, what? I, I want a plan of how you're going to build your ministry this next year. Can you meet with me at, uh, at 1 o'clock? So it's just always about building and always about numbers. He's, he, they've got some kind of program they're trying to build, and he, he's called around four or five key guys to see it happen. It's not happening, but he's got this pressure. It has to happen. And so for him, it doesn't, it's, it's, a, it's a job. It's a it's this thing that he's just trying to do to just try to get people in the door. But my job doesn't feel like that. I, I, I'm privileged just to be with you and to love you and to serve you and to speak God's word into your life. And, and I'm thankful that I'm in this situation rather than really just this helter-skelter just running, just trying to do what can be done to keep the numbers up. Because they keep the numbers of 15,000 up there. They're done, and it all comes on the staff to do that. And the result of it also is its emphasis on numbers. He talked to me about leading the new visitors or the membership class, and he said, we'll have 20 people join the church this week, every week. But that means 20 people are leaving because the attendance has really plateaued, but they're kind of pulling these people in. It's just about putting bodies in seats. It's all about coming and seeing. And uh, he did move to a new neighborhood. It's interesting, and uh, I... Um, he, he talked about reaching out to the neighborhood right where it was because he's moved recently and had neighborhood Bible studies and reaching out to neighbors and things like that. And I said, well, how's that going? He says, that's really slow. I'm like, that's the world we live in, right? Reaching out to our neighbors, loving others, that's just slow ministry. But their ministry is about just bringing people to church rather than taking the church to people. And so this it's slow, but it's... It's helpful and it's, it's profitable with that. So, so those, those are some lessons I learned outside the, the classroom. Of course, there's a bunch more that I learned inside the classroom. Um, while these guys were preaching the sermons of Revelation, I was preparing for my class. I uh, read nine books, wrote ten papers for my, my course preparation the last five weeks or so. It's been a, it's been a lot. But I learned a lot in the process. The class was wonderful. She had people in ministry just just talking and supporting, and, and it was it was it was very helpful. Um, but when I um, when I set up the schedule about preaching this summer and, and thought about ways to empower guys to preach and talking about ways that could help me in terms of uh, preparing for 
um, for my course of study as well, I, I determined that this would be the week that I would come and just from the overflow of what I learned, I would bring that to you. And um, there are lots of things I could speak about, but Phil's counsel to me was, preach to us, we texted back and forth, he said, preach to us what you're learning from a practical standpoint. What's been most impactful to you? One topic, one takeaway, all right? So, I mean, one topic of takeaway is just, I love you all, and I'm thankful to be a pastor here rather than pastor in corporate church structures in America. Um, but my topic this morning is Solomon's father leadership, and I wish our, our slides are not going here today. Um, but I, I have a, a, a good picture here of Solomon's father leadership. This dad is just kind of like, oh man, he's got his family of what he's trying to trying to do and trying to lead his family. And and we're going to get to that, but I still have something else I, I really want to just communicate to you just in terms of a leadership perspective because I've not been in the pulpit a while and so this is a time to really, really lead the church with some things um, because... Um, after today, we're, we're leaving on vacation today, um, actually tomorrow morning, early morning, we're heading out to California as, as we do. And so we will miss you a little bit anyway, <laughs> we'll enjoy our time in, in California immensely, but I, I need to just talk to you about our next couple weeks and particularly talk about, uh, two weeks from now, but next couple weeks, next week is, um, Ryan Brown on, uh, Revelation. How's your prep coming, Ryan? Good. Y'all done? No, you're not done. Okay. And then uh, Tom Harkis will preach the next week. The week after that, Darren Weave, are you done? Have you started? Oh, okay, all right. I expected a no answer there. But I want to talk to you a little bit about Tom Harkis. Um, had a picture on the, the slide. Um, just because there's been some questions about Crossway and what we're doing. And so I, I've talked to you about, about uh, my, my doctor of ministry program and kind of where I'm with that, done with classes in the writing phase. I talked to you about just I, I just love this body of believers as opposed to what many others are experiencing. And what I want to talk about now is Tom Harkis, and then we'll talk about Crossway, and then we'll get into Proverbs 1, um, 1 through 9. Um, but I, I've known Tom since before I knew Yvonne, in fact, I knew Tom Harkis. So our relationship with him, my relationship with him goes back some 26 years when he was a college pastor at Grace Church of DuPage in Warrenville, Illinois. Now, Grace Church of DuPage planted Kishwaukee Bible Church in DeKalb, which planted Rock Valley Bible Church up here in, in Rockford. And uh, Yvonne and I were involved there with both those, those plants. And uh, uh, the summer of 1989 is I had a chance to do what's called the summer project at a church, taken right off like what Campus Crusade would do in terms of taking college students, really devoting themselves a summer to the Lord, and they get the jobs, they work during the day, and during the night they just commit themselves to ministry. So that's maybe Bible study or learning or training or whether that's going out evangelism-wise or that is uh, helping with some ministry in the church or whether that's an evening of just fun, whatever. And that people work during the day and they live with host families um, during, during the night. And Tom and Dawn were my host family. So I, I spent a summer with Tom and Dawn. So my relationship with Tom goes back many, many years. And uh, after summer of, two, of 1989, he went to Fort Collins, Colorado, where he planted a church, and it's called Mountain View Community Church, and the church has just blossomed, it's about 700, 800 now, something like that, and that church then has planted several other churches in the Fort Collins area, and I'm not sure how many churches, probably five churches, and some of them literally are just like two miles down the road, and so just done a, 
Um, just a, a great thing there, and uh, just God bless that immensely. And they have a, a network there called uh, the Crossway Chapel Network of churches. Now, they're not all called Crossway Chapels, but they all have a, a common ancestry from this Mountain View Community Church. Well, about 10 years ago, he left there, went to North Carolina to plant a church. He planted a church in North Carolina. And his, and, uh, his days there are done now, and now recently he's come back to Fox Valley uh, in Chicago land area, and uh, he's going to help be one of the pastors there, and uh, that's part of the Crossway Chapel Network. Now, Grace Church of Page, which planted Kishwaukee Bible Church and planted us, also planted a church called Grace Church of the Valley, which had some problems, and then restarted as Crossway uh, Chapel of Fox Valley. So they are linked, and we are linked, and we know many of the people just historically at the church in Fox Valley. So there's there's a lot of relationships here of what we know, church relationships and Ivani. Um, even Tom was in California um, before he came out here, and Tom knows many people that we know from UCLA. Um, so there's just a, a, a lot there. And so Tom has come back here, and he's looking in the Chicagoland area to build up a network perhaps similar to, uh, to the network that's in uh, the Colorado area, just to see other like-minded churches and and so what I want to do is just talk about why we're joining. And we'll get to Proverbs, okay? Um, but this is, this is important because some, some questions like, like, okay, so we're joining Crossway Network. What, what does that mean? What, what does that mean for us? Uh, what, 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 what changes are going to take place? And, and first of all, I, I want to say it doesn't mean anything, okay? Um, by that, I simply mean this, is that uh, we're joining this network precisely because they have the same values as we have. They have the same heart that we have, committed to exposition, committed to team leadership, right? committed to a high view of God, committed to body life that's, that's healthy and, and profitable and really engaging and serving. And, and, and so in, in some regards, there's, there's not going to be major change at our church because Crossway Chapel Network is committed to the same things that we are. We're not going into some place, oh, we're going to have a, a big change. Uh, Crossway Chapel is not a franchise, in other words, right, they don't push our name, they don't push the materials, they don't push methods or anything like that. That's not what Crossway Chapel is. Um, we don't have to change our name, okay? It doesn't mean anything. But it does mean something, okay? It's not like it doesn't mean It does mean something, all right? First of all, it means it's going to affect our pocketbook a little bit. There's a little bit of administrative fee to keep, keep things running. It's not, you think about our whole budget, it's very small, negligible almost in light of our whole budget. Uh, but it's going to cost 5% of our monies needs to go to church planting efforts. Now, for us, that's not a big deal at all because we, we give already 20%, maybe over 20%, I forget what it is uh, right now, but um, something like 20% of undesignated giving we designate for missions. That is, we designate for something that's not us and not ours. And so joining Crossway means that basically what we need to do is take 5% of that and say that's going to go to church planting. Now, that could be a church plant from us, or that could be a church plant from us and Fox Valley uh, Crossway Chapel, or that could mean someone else in Colorado, or that could mean... But but that's our money that we just set aside, and we as elders will decide when and where and how we can do that. So it's not... We're not giving 5% to Crossway, but we're just making a dedication to devote money to church planting, because it's one of their core values, and, and really it's one of our core values that has been lost a little bit. It's interesting. When we planted a church from Grace Church to Page, 
uh, Yvonne and I were involved, we started Kishwaukee Bible Church. And because there was high support at the, the mother church, and because we had 10 to 15 families move out into uh, DeKalb, that church just blossomed up, and by the time it got to be about 180, we were ready in about eight, nine years or so to plant Rock Valley Bible Church. And so I really believe, coming to plant Rock Valley Bible Church, that we're going to, within 10 years, just reproduce ourselves and plant another church, Janesville, Beloit, or Freeport. And what I didn't really understand was that we came up here, we came up here alone. We didn't have anybody come up trained from Kishwaukee Bible Church, and so it's been a lot slower. We didn't have 15 families, boom, ready to go. We've had to train that up, and so it's been a, a little bit slower, and it's just been, been hard. Um, but I'd love to see us engaged in uh, church planting again and realize that with Crossway Chapel, we can. Now, it might not look exactly like I'd envisioned, but with them and, and the help, I really believe that we can do far more together than we could ever do apart. And it's just going to help with that. I'm not sure what, um, where we're going to help or how it's going to help, but we'll just, we'll just trust and see. It could be from us. It could be a combination of both. I know that uh, a couple years ago there was a push maybe to start something in Rochelle. Um, um, but something like that, I don't know, could happen. But it will push us to that. Also, I think um, and it will help us in that. There's another also Crossway Chapel. Um, they have a, a strong evangelism emphasis. Now, it's not that we are, are, are not, don't have an evangelism emphasis. We're just, uh, we're just maybe not so good at it. I mean, I... We are enjoying his grace and extending his glory, enjoying the grace of God. Everything is true in the gospel. So as then we extend the glory of God. That is in pushing things out and telling others of Christ and building us up so we can go. That's a, it's a core value of what we have. It's just we're not so good at it. But Tom is excellent at it. His heart just beats for evangelism. And I'm praying that his heart would rub off onto my heart and onto our heart. I hope that two weeks from now, when he comes, that you'll just catch that flavor because he is a, an evangelist. He's got great evangelistic emphasis. Now, now, when I say evangelistic emphasis, I'm not saying let's have big rallies and bring lots of people in and have gifted speakers preach to the masses and have big altar calls. and big. That's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is not focused evangelism on one speaker. It's focused evangelism on all of you doing the hard work that my, my, uh, my friend at, um, at Southern Seminary is talking about. It's talking about you with your neighbors. It's talking about you with your coworkers. It's, it's talking about you with the people at the gym you see or the theater group that your kids are involved in or the, the craft store you like to go to or the park where you walk with your kids or the swimming pool where you swim in the summer, or your softball team that you play with, or your sewing guild. What I'm talking about, that's what Tom will help bring us, is bring all of us into this idea that we all need to enjoy His grace, that we all need to extend His glory through relationships, through people that we know, through spheres of influence. Not trying to pack places with people speaking, but doing the hard work one-on-one with people and, and bringing... That's, that's what Crossway is going to help us to do. I know one of the things that uh, Tom has talked about is a seven for heaven. Do you have a seven for heaven list? There's seven people who you know in your life who are without Christ, who you're praying for on a consistent basis, longing 
that they would come to embrace Jesus. Just right there. That's, that's the emphasis that we're seeking to bring. That's what Crossway is talking about. That's a benefit of Crossway is to help us in our weakness to, to be stronger in the evangelistic way. And another benefit is simply support. I mean, we're an independent church. No denomination telling us what to do, which is good. But we can tend to be too independent. But, but you know my heart. I, I, I love networks of churches. I mean, I have fostered that here in, in the Rockford area with Morningstar and Red Brick Church and Mount Morris EV Free Church. We've done youth retreats together. I, I email these pastors every week telling them what I'm preaching on. They email back to me what they're preaching on. We just pr- pray for one another. We're good friends. And so that I've had many of them come here and preach to us. And so what happens, we boost those churches up. And when people leave Rock Valley Bible Church, you know where they go, right? They go to those churches that we've been praying for and encouraging. We go, oh, well, forget Rock Valley Bible Church. Let's go to that church he's been praying for. It must be a good church. So that, that's hurt us in some regards, but it's, it's helped us. Like, we're not in this alone, but, but those churches that we've associated with, they are part of EV Free um, denomination, or they're affiliated with Baptist things. And really, they've they got this whole superstructure that we don't necessarily have, but we hope to have with uh, Crossway, some, uh, uh, some support, some accountability, and, and some help. And so something you haven't even seen is uh, I've been talking with Tom Harkis once a month, just looking for counsel and help. He's coaching me uh, just about church, just challenging me in my personal walk with the Lord, challenging me with my marriage, challenging me with my family, challenging me for how I'm developing leaders at church, challenging me on vision direction and how things are going, challenging me to, to think about ways to stimulate you all to evangelism and going out. And his impact is, is helping me about pastoring. And, and so that's happening, and you don't even know that's happening, but that's a, that's a big help as I think through not just doing church like we've done it all before, but really thinking through how is it that we need to, to do these things. Challenging me, in other words, right, to, to be a better pastor, like, like school is helping me to, to be a better pastor, the same thing. And in fact, one of Tom's greatest hearts is for leadership development. Over the past year, we've had opportunities to go down to Fox Valley and, and just be trained and thought about evangelism and trained and thought about the church and what the church is about. And um, we've been talking about coming up here in this fall and having Tom and some people from their church come up and really think about it, okay, training us and really helping us to think, and, and particularly Tom and his, his passion for evangelism coming and helping us to, to think. How, how is it that we engage people? How is it that we, we train in those ways? Um, also, on top of just evangelism, just missions connections. Uh, this, this network of churches is, so when you think about a picture of it, it's whatever, 15 churches, it's not a lot, but they do have some connections across the world. They, they focus on two com- countries in terms of their missions emphasis. One is Nepal and one is Czech. So I'm like, oh, there are places in Nepal that we might partner with. Maybe some of your kids can be involved in some missions things. Maybe jumping on with Mountain View, it does some things in Nepal or does some things in Czech. We could do some things with them as well. Opportunities for us to expand. it. Okay, so here, here's my hope and dream is that by us being the first church to help join this network in the Fox Valley area, there would be other churches over the years to join up, that there would be a conglomeration of a a network of churches strong in the Chicagoland area seeking to reach the 7 million-plus unsaved lost people in the Chicagoland area. That's what my hope is. So, So going in with them, that's what we want. Tom will tell you more about that in two weeks. Okay, so I've told you a lot. Southern Studies... 
to Marcus Crossway, but I just felt like, like those things needed to be communicated where we are. So the time remaining, let's look into Proverbs. So that was all free, but that's our vision as a church. I felt real practical that we just needed to talk about providing leadership in the church. And Solomon here, we're going to see Solomon's fatherly leadership. Now, if you're anything like me, you know that leading a family is not easy. Uh, it can be exasperating at times. It can be frustrating at times. Um, it can be hard. But this is what God has called every father to be and to do, is to lead their family. One of the most foundational passages in all Israel comes in Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. And you shall teach them diligently to your children. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. And you shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts in your house and on all your gates. These, these words that, that God told Israel was basically two things. To, to love God with your heart and to love God in the home. The love for God in your heart should be complete, all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the love in the home should be diligent and frequent, talking with your kids and teaching your kids when you walk by the way. Lie down, rise up. Now when you think about Proverbs, it was written by Solomon, and when you track Solomon's life in doing that, you find out that he was, he was bad at the first, loving God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength, but he was good at the second in terms of having things be in the home. He was one who began well, but finished poorly. He began by learning a lesson of his father. His father David taught him the most important thing in your life is to get wisdom. And so in 1 Kings 3, when God appeared to him, he says, ask whatever you want. What do you ask for? I want wisdom. Because that's the very lesson that David taught him. But yet, the end of his life was nothing short of disaster. 1 Kings 11.9, the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel. Now, that doesn't mean that we can't learn from Solomon. Okay? Um, after all, he was wiser than all men. It says in 1 Kings 3.12 that he was wiser than anybody who came before him and he was wiser than anyone else who would ever come after him. He was, if you will, like, like the Michael Jordan of wisdom. No basketball player had ever been as good as Michael Jordan, and no basketball player will ever be as good as Michael Jordan. Now, my son might say, LeBron's pretty good, Dad. But I'm just saying, Solomon is like the peak, and the promise is that no one's going to come wiser than him. And of course, we'll see what Jesus has to say about that. But Solomon, we can learn from things from him, but not from his life, but from his teaching for sure. He's a do as I say, not as I do. Now, one of the prominent features, you think about Proverbs 1 through 9, which is really a youth manual. Parents, you should know Proverbs 1 through 9 well, and you should teach these lessons to your student, to your children. Is it just how often he's calling for my son, my son, my son? Look at Proverbs chapter 1, verse 8. Hear my son, your father's instruction. And forsake not your mother's teaching. It's just a cry for a son to, to listen and to hear both fathers and mothers. Chapter 1, verse 10. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. 
Verse 15, my son, do not walk in the way with them. Chapter 2, verse 1, my son, if you receive my words and treasure my commandments within you. Chapter 3, verse 1, my son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. Chapter 3, verse 11, my son, do not despise the Lord's discipline. Chapter 3, verse 21, my son, do not lose sight of these. Chapter 4, verse 1, hear, O son, a father's instructions, and be attentive, you might gain insight. And, and, and we just started, I just started chapter 4, um, 19 times throughout chapters 1 through 9, Solomon saying, my son, my son, my sons, oh sons, listen, he's saying, listen to me, listen to me, sons, listen, this is really important, son, you can hear the passion. You, you can just hear the intensity in that. And my first point this morning is this. Take initiative. Fathers, take initiative. Husbands, take initiative. Be like Solomon. And say, O oh, sons. And, and call them. He, he did teach them. And he was taking initiative. And in our society, really many fathers are just absent in the leadership of the home. Passive especially as it comes to spiritual formation of the children. This is not a new pro- problem. Uh, even as doing some research in a man named Weldon Hardenbook, 30 years ago, talked about the death of masculinity. 30 years ago. Calling Christian men to do what Joshua did. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Taking the initiative. And he said, 30 years ago, Godly, virtuous male leadership has been missing for too many generations in America. It's time for the men of America to return to the front lines of responsibility. Men must again become primary religious educators of their children. And yet, 30 years ago today, it's 30 years now, later, how are things going today? Worse. Okay? So they're going worse. Um, So one man said, we face an unprecedented crisis in America today. The physical and emotional absence of fathers. I was listening to a podcast on my way home, a secular podcast, Freakonomics. Thanks, Darren. And um, is, a, is talking about this woman who is studying the relationship between uh, economical well-being and marriage. And without question, uh, the data says that, that if you are raised in a, a home of married a couple your opportunity for economic success is far greater than if you're in a home where just mom is or just dad is. Okay? There's just something. And she's not a Christian. Okay? This researcher, not a Christian. Um, not even, you know, coming with any more. She's just making the statement that says that it's clear and it's obvious as can be is that when both parents are in a home, the stability of the home makes a big difference in terms of economic well-being. And then, you know, some said, well, you know, just talked on and on. I, I could talk about it. I'm not going to talk about it. But just says that even the world is recognizing the importance of married couple. But I would say also that there is a, an impact of a dad. I've quoted this before, but it, 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 it behooves us again here today. I want to press upon you men your impact in the lives of your children. Um, Using census data from Switzerland, a, a couple of researchers looked and saw the effect of uh, a dad's church attendance and a mom's church attendance and the effect of, of kids. All right, so um, 
It goes like this. If Ma, so this is, this is Switzerland, so think like liberal Christianity. It's just church attendance, so just think externals. It's not even about internals, okay? It's just externals. And if a mom, if a dad attends church regularly and a mom attends church regularly, through census data, they figured out that a third of the time, 33% of the time, kids will grow up and attend church regularly. But if... Mom is regular, and dad, eh, is irregular. 3% of children will go to church when they grow up. So they're both going regularly, 33%. If mom goes regularly, dad just kind of in and out, 3%. Who's, who's making the difference there? And, and if mom goes faithfully and dad does not at all, it's 2% of the kids. Now, Lest you despair, though, okay, there are examples here where that's not been the case. I think about Maggie Wiebe is a great example of that. Mom goes to church, dad doesn't, but she comes, right? And I'm sure that there are others where you've grown up where dad doesn't. Is there any of you else? I'm trying to think. Yep, okay, Gina. Mom goes to church, dad doesn't. You're there. Phil, yep, with you as well. Is it so? There, don't despair. There are there are things, but I'm just showing you the overall impact of where things are. Now, here's here's the interesting thing. If a father attends regularly, but a mother doesn't attend so much, where's the percentage? It goes up to thirty eight percent. And if a father attends regularly, and a mother like doesn't attend at all. It goes up to 44%. So that's a Swiss study, okay, completed 2000, just of external church attendance. What's going on? You know what's going on? It's the impact of dad. What's going on? And here's the impact. Is that, that mom will go to church for social reasons. Dad goes to church for truth reasons. So if mom goes to church for social reasons, dad's like, whatever, then the kids are like, I don't know, I can find my social stuff any place. But if dad will overstep mom to come to church, kids are like, who? He's not going for the social reason. He's going because there's a bigger issue at stake there. And so I just say, dads, know how much of an impact you make. And Proverbs 1 through 9 is really a, a call for dads to take initiative in the leadership of the home. Okay, this is my, my annual call the family worship sermon. Okay, I, I do this every so often and I'm just telling you this is, this is important. Um, dads, you cannot delegate your responsibility of spiritually training your children to a school, to a church, to a Christian camp. You can't do it. It's your involvement that's going to make the difference in the lives of children. And I just call you to family worship. I, I call you dads to summon up your family on a daily, if possible, basis. Where you summon your kids and you come and sit down and you read the Bible and you pray with your children. And if you want to sing, if, if it's tolerable, alright? Now, let me, let me tell you how that works at our home. 
Okay, I thought about like putting some putting some couches up here to show you how it works in our home because we sit on we sit on the couch. But let me let me tell you how it works. It works. Come about eight o'clock. I talk to Yvonne. I say, okay, how about how about eight thirty? Is that going to work for you for family worship? She say, uh, oh, okay. And I go downstairs to Hannah. I say, is eight thirty okay, Hannah? Is eight thirty okay? Is it? And sometimes I, I got a Hannah. Okay, eight thirty. Oh, I'm so busy, Dad. Okay, how about? 8.30, we'll be real short. Is that okay? I say, yeah, okay. And, and then David and Stephanie, you know, they're involved in their things. Okay, 8.30, guys. So i got to plan ahead. And come 8.30, I'm on the couch, and you know who else is there? Nobody. <laughs> it's just me. And so I say, Vaughn, are we coming? Hannah, are we coming? Hey, guys, come on. Come on down. We're going to have family worship. So it's probably about 8.40 by now because there's, there's been some delay. And... Um, so picture us up here on the couch, and I say, David, do you have your Bible? He goes, oh. And so he goes, and he runs upstairs, and he goes gets his Bible, and then he comes back downstairs, and he brings his Bible. And then typically what we do is we do the fighter verse, which we've been doing recently. But it doesn't matter what you do. Just do anything. Read something. Okay, and so we, we've been reading through um, the fighter verse, trying to work on memorize that a little bit, and we're reading through the Gospel of Matthew just week in, week out. And, and so you got, you got a picture. I, I was going to have us all up here. And while we're doing this, Steffi does her cartwheels, and she does her headstands, and she does her splits, and she does her stress. And all we're trying to do this, but that's just what she does, okay? So so don't even picture, and David's fidgeting on stuff. Hey, David, David, hey, hey, come back here, all right? <laughs> Bring your mind back here. He's wandering off and and all over the place, okay? And it's, it's just a matter of, of all we can do to just try to get some semblance of things. And then we say, okay, well, let's pray, guys. And then I, we pray youngest to oldest. And then David always says, what do I pray for, Dad? And then we talk about things that we can pray for. And he prays in his little way. And we just pray kind of all around. And, and Mom prays. Who prays the longest, guys? Mom prays the longest, and it goes on and on and on, and, and um, we're, hopefully I'm awake by the end, and so we're, um, we then talk, and, and I'm, just, I'm just saying this is obvious, don't think like picture perfect thing in the Brandon household. There are many days when Hannah's got a soccer game, and so we go to a soccer game with the family, and Steffi's out, and we don't get home till 9.30. We're, we, don't, we don't have family worship those nights. And uh, I would say probably uh, we try, but probably a third of the time we get to it. But our aim is every night, all right? So don't think that that's like wonderful. Well, it's, it's a struggle. But if I don't take initiative, it doesn't happen. And so that's the idea, man. Take the initiative. Sons, gather around. Let's come. Okay. Take initiative. And we'll be quick on the others. Teach wisdom. Fathers, teach wisdom. Teach wisdom. I mean, it can be argued that the heartbeat behind every verse in Proverbs is wisdom. That is um, learning God's ways from God's word and making right choices then based upon the truth. So that's what wisdom is, right? It's skill for living. It's, it's taking in what God says and then living it out in a practical way. And which one of you want wise children? You want wise children... Because if you don't have wise children, um, you yourself will be sad. You want to be happy? Then seek to aim towards wise children. Uh, I'm trying to, trying to find it. It says that if, if a, a foolish son is a grief to his mother, 
right? Is, is it just, if sons, if your children are foolish, it's going to come back to you. It's going to be your grief. So, seeking to have your joy, do whatever you can to impart wisdom into your children. You say, how important is wisdom? Well, chapter 1, verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Well, see, it's the fools who will take wisdom and not want it, not follow it. But the wise will take wisdom and follow after it. Chapter 9, verse 10, speaks about the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Verse 12, if you are wise, you're wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. So there's wisdom. If you're wise, it's going to be better for you. If you scoff, it's going to be worse for you. You say, what's the wisest thing you can do? Chapter 4. I just want to begin reading in verse 1. Hear, O sons, a father's instruction, and be attentive that you may gain insight. For I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. In other words, I'm giving you good stuff. Don't forsake it. Don't let it go. Listen to me. Verse 3. He pictures back to when dad David. When I was a son with my father, tender, and the only one the side of my mother, he taught me and he said to me, Solomon, maybe he called him Solly back then, I'm not sure, little, little guy. Let your heart hold fast my words. Keep my commandments and live. Get wisdom, get insight. Do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will keep you. Love her and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. And whatever you get, get insight. Prize her highly and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow you a beautiful crown. Just the blessings of wisdom. I I trust you can see it there. She's teaching. The first thing of wisdom is to get wisdom. Don't despise it. You despise it. You'll be a fool. You'll be a scoffer. You will bear it. But if you're wise, it's going to help you. It's going to anoint you. It's going to, chapter 1, verse 9, it's going to be a graceful garland on your head and pendants on your neck. Chapter 2, verse 10, it's going to be pleasant for your soul. Chapter 3, verse 2, length of days and years of life, it's going to add to you. Uh, chapter 3, verse 13 and 14. The one who finds wisdom will be blessed far greater than silver or gold. Nothing you desire compares with her. What do you want? What do you want desire? Gold, silver? Dream big! And nothing that you desire compares with actually the joy and blessing that comes with knowing wisdom. That's how important wisdom is. Teach it to your children. You can read Proverbs 1 through 8 several times. Wisdom is personified as this, this beautiful woman who, um, who, who's, who's just there and calling out and, and, and bringing in chapter 8, verse 11. All you may desire cannot compare with this lady wisdom. Come and learn of her. So Solomon is not just pounding wisdom into the life of his sons. He's also making wisdom attractive and saying, look at how good this is. Look at how beneficial this is. This really gets to my, my last point. Right? Show consequences. Right? So take initiative and, and teach wisdom and now show consequences. That's one of the big prominent features of Proverbs 1 through 9 as Solomon goes through his teaching. Is he so often focuses upon the ends. He says, this is how it's going to end. 
And so he says, okay, so if, if you take this path of life, here's where it's going to end. But if you take this path of life, this is where it's going to end. And so which end do you want? Okay, so let's, if you take this path of life, destruction and hardship and death. If you take this path of life, joy and long life and blessing. Which path do you want? You say, well, I'll tell you what, this is the path of wisdom. This is the path of following God's instructions. This is the path of, of, of walking wisely. And this is the path of foolishness. This is the path of going after the strange woman. This is the path of sinning, of being lazy, and you'll be destructive. Which do you want? And so what, what Psalm is doing is lifting up consequences of how, how things end. I, I can't tell you how many times in the life of our family... We have talked about the end of alcohol and drugs and just where that leads you. And um, now it's, it's not that all alcohol does that. It's not all drugs do that. But we, we often say, well, this is, this is what I've seen. This is what we know, you know. So we know people who have a drug addiction and the cause and, the, and their irresponsibility. They can't have a job. They're living in poverty. They're dependent upon their parents and things are difficult. And even, as we heard this week, overdose sometimes. Or we think about alcohol. Well, let me tell you what, what alcohol does to you. It's just consuming and it, it just takes you and it, you're sick afterwards and it, it numbs you and you make stupid decisions and these stupid decisions ask for life oftentimes. And those are the ends of those things. And I've had many conversations over that in the lives of our kids. I said, so what's the secret? Don't start and you won't ever end that way. Right? Now, you can, you can wrestle that out in terms of alcohol, and I'm not saying that alcohol is a sin, but I'm just saying the way Solomon preaches is consequences, and I'm saying, well, what, what goes down that path and what goes down this path? And, and teaching just like Jesus did, right? In the, the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 6, store for yourselves treasures in heaven. That's where your true joy is going to be, right? So give now and get your treasures in heaven later, arguing from the blessings. So you want to be blessed? Then seek the right, the right path. That, Charles Bridges calls, calls the blessing of wisdom invaluable blessings. So really the, the application is plain. Fathers, teach wisdom your sons. Show your sons, show your children how life is going to work. Teach them that there are consequences. Teach them that if you live this way, this will result. If you live this way, this will result. And compel them to walk in a way that brings the blessing of the Lord upon their lives. Proverbs 3.33, the Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the house of the righteous. Proverbs 9.12, if you are wise, you're wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. Now, it's interesting, we think about Solomon, we think about wisdom, Go to Matthew chapter 12. I, I went way long on my message today, but it's, it's been needful. But Matthew 12, talking about Jesus. Chapter 12, verse 38. Some of the scribes and Pharisees answered Jesus saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign. In fact, we just read this in our family worship recently, guys, right? I'm not sure you remember. I remember. That's how it goes. My <laughs> dad remembers. Just trying to get it. Okay, so J.W. Alexander, he's talking about family worship, talked about just the impression of, of every morning and every night 
going before the Lord and putting any sort of religious impression on the lives of your children. And he pictured an 85-year-old man. He did the math, and he counted up twice daily, 365 days a year, 80-year-old man. It's like 20,000 times. He says, that can't help but to make an impression upon your souls. So even if it's forgotten, it's still, still good. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to accept the, the sign of prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment of this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up in judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. So as much as we lift up the wisdom of Solomon... There is a wisdom greater. It's the wisdom of Christ. Because here's the thing. Think about Solomon in his life. And um, he didn't follow what he taught. He was a hypocrite. And the result was cursing upon his life. The, uh, the kingdom was taken away from him. Adversary Hadad, the Edomite, came against him. The Lord raised up adversaries. Rezin was an adversary of Israel. Jeroboam lifted his hand up against the king. And after he died, his kingdom split in two. And Rehoboam, his son, evil son, did not walk in the ways of the Lord. Solomon, it's like he had all the advantages in the world. He had, his dad was a father, was, had a heart after God. He was the wisest guy that ever lived. And he blew it. Now, in some regards, that was that lead us to? I am so thankful that Solomon didn't do well in some regards. We just say, oh, well, he did well because he had all the advantages in the world. No, it's not the advantages. It's not the, it's not the wisdom. It's not the lineage. It's not the teaching. It, it's a heart of devotion and trust in Christ that's ultimately going to do it. So something greater then Solomon is here. And of course, that's the Lord Jesus. And for you parents, for you fathers today here, maybe you're feeling like, oh man, how, how's my leadership with my wife? How am I leading my wife? How, how am I leading the home? And if you're in despair, it's a great place to be. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. He's the only one who changes the hearts of kids anyway. Don't trust your own wisdom. Your own wisdom is not going to do it. It didn't work for Solomon. It didn't work for his kids. It's not going to happen. What's going to happen is you trust in, in Christ and trust in Him deeply. Well, we have an opportunity this morning to celebrate the Lord's Supper, as we do every four to six weeks. And uh, we're doing that here this Sunday. It's an opportunity for us even to reflect. Okay, so well, how am I trusting in my kids? How am I trusting in, in training? Am I trusting in my own wisdom and ingenuity, or am I trusting in the power of Jesus? Am I going to confess? I remember hearing a pastor talking about family worship one time. His dad was not a believer, um, but became a believer when, when he... So the preacher's dad became a believer when he was old. And uh, I remember him talking about just... He tried to impose, for a brief season, some like family worship or devotions on the life of his family, and the kids just mocked him and rejected it. And years later then he said, but at least he tried. And, and you parents would say, if you haven't done it, if you haven't pursued leading your family uh, in any sort of spiritual way, and, and mothers, if your dad's not doing it, don't just say, oh, it's off my hand. No, you pick it up and you do it. Come to your kids and confess that we've not done this right. 
we're going to seek to do it right. I'm trusting in Christ for forgiveness. I'm trusting for Christ to make an impact in the life of our family. So let's just bow our heads and think about the life of Christ as we transition to the Lord's Supper. 1 Corinthians says, before you eat and drink of the, the cup of the Lord, you should examine yourself. So I just encourage you now to examine yourself that that all that was laid down here in terms of taking initiative and teaching wisdom to our children and showing the consequences. If you have failed miserably in this, then join the club. My, my hope is not in my efforts, God, but it's in, it's in the Lord. And so I just would encourage you to just, just not take these things as a burden upon your soul, but make them be a delight, as Jason Hylopoulos in his book of family worship calls it a neglected grace. It's something that we have that we neglect too much. And so may God be our, our help in that. And, and just realize that we just encourage you to think about Christ. That he upon the cross bore all of our sins. All of our fatherly failings. All of my pastoral failings. All the ways in which we fail to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. All the ways that we fail not to talk about God's word when we stand by the way, when we walk by the way, when we lay down, we rise up. So now's the time for repentance, the time just to say, God, I just I trust in you, I trust in Jesus. Thank you for his work upon the cross. May we delight in that today. So if you're a believer in Christ and walking his ways and trusting in repentance, celebrate the supper with us. There's senior harboring, unwilling to confess. Just let the bread pass. Let the, let the cup pass. This is for those who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus. So let, let us celebrate, remembering afresh the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. Amen.